Mark 1 verse 14 says this. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into a lake. For they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So here we have the very outset of Jesus' ministry. We've had this introduction with John the Baptist, and Mark is kind of keen, we'll see this time and time again, to cut to the chase. So he doesn't step aside to explain exactly what happened to John the Baptist. We'll find out more detail uh, later in the book. For now, it's enough to say John was put in prison. Uh, He was arrested and Jesus went into Galilee. And now it's Jesus declaring the good news of God. So we're going to look at Jesus' ministry. What he was declaring was obviously very similar to how Mark begins the book. Uh, He talks of the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ. Here, Jesus starts proclaiming the good news of God. Good news, this victorious king is approaching. That's the way in which that term was used. The gospel is good news. It's about Jesus and it's about God. Jesus who represents God. So in in Colossians 1 verse 15, we're told that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In Hebrews 1 verse 3, we're told that he's the exact representation uh, of his being. And we can look as well at uh, John's gospel uh, for just a moment, see an intriguing conversation that takes place there between uh, Jesus and one of his disciples in John uh, chapter 14. And verse 8, it's Philip who says, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe in me, that I am in the Father, and that the Father is in me? So we've seen John preparing the way, saying, there's one to come, who's more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I'm, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He's saying, just, just wait, the kingdom is, is coming. Um, I'm preparing the way. There's this one more powerful than I to come. Now that one who is more powerful than John has come. And he's not just declaring, just wait a little bit longer. Almost, nearly, hang on in there. He's saying, no, the, the time has come. The moment that fulfills has come. The the moment that all of the Old Testament has been looking forward to, building up to, has arrived. I'm declaring that to you, says Jesus. Uh, The kingdom of God is near. I can still sound like the kingdom of God is a little way off. It's close. But you've still got to wait. You might, if you're reading in a different translation, there are uh, many translations that would say uh, the kingdom of God is close at hand. The kingdom of God has 
come close. So Jesus has come and the kingdom of God has come. It's a time of wonderful good news and the time for waiting is now over. Jesus has arrived and he has begun his public ministry. Interesting then that he went to Galilee. This ordinary looking guy from the north who happened to be the son of God went back to the province in which he grew up. Why did he not go back? Why did he not go to Jerusalem? Surely that would be where the action is. Now he went back to Galilee, but we could be mistaken for thinking, well, there's not much going on in the north. Um, it's just a quiet kind of backwater uh, province where only a few people live. Well, perhaps it's not dissimilar actually to our situation as a country where there's loads going on in the north. There's uh, massive cities. It's like Jesus going to Newcastle, Manchester, Liverpool, Glasgow, or even Sheffield. Um, he is eager to be among the people. And we see a difference with John. What was John like? People went out to see John in the desert, in the wilderness. Jesus went from the wilderness where he'd been tried by Satan for 40 days. He went from there and he went to where people were. It's like God is on the move. It's not now just a case of come and find me. I'm in the desert. God wants to go and find people. Jesus wants to go and be among people, talking their language in words that they'll understand, walking in their shoes, in their world, interrupting their daily life uh, with a message, not just waiting for people to go and find him like John had done. That was John's ministry. Jesus' ministry is slightly different. Um, he's going, he's, he's making the steps. He's taking the lead. He's on the front foot. He's going to find uh, people with this good news. And this is what shows us what God is like. I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where someone has disappointed you. Someone has hurt you. And maybe you would identify with that response of, well, I'm, I'm the injured party here. I'm, I'm the one who's been offended. They're in the wrong. If they want to get it right, if they want to restore some kind of friendship like we once had, they know where to find me. I'm not hiding. But the, the initiative is with them. They've got to get it right. They've got to sort it out. And if they can show to me, if they can come to me, if they can find me and show me that they really are sorry, then perhaps there's a future for our relationship after all, maybe uh, you've kind of felt that or you've had similar kind of experience before. Well, what we're seeing with God is something entirely different. From the moment that Adam and Eve turned away from him and disobeyed him, God is and has been the offended party. But what we see here is not a God who's saying, well, if they want to sort it out, they can come find me. There's a God who says, no, I want to sort this out. And I'm going to look for them. Not with 
hostility and enmity, but with love, with kindness, with grace. So Jesus moved out. Jesus went to find people with good news. And he demonstrated that in calling his disciples. We see uh, some of the interactions he had in this passage um, with kind of two pairs of brothers. This, this marks him out as more than just a rabbi. Because if someone set themselves up as a rabbi, that person would probably wait to see who's going to follow. Um, he might teach, preach in a synagogue, and then see who's interested and see who starts to follow him. And uh, what we see with Jesus is more proactive. No, he's taking the initiative. He's gathering people to himself. He's got the authority to call people to follow him, to be with him, not just to wait to see who decides to follow him. So God on the move, Jesus taking steps to bring good news into people's lives. Obviously, Jesus could have decided to be a lone ranger, to do everything himself. What need did he have? The Son of God, in relationship with his heavenly Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, why did he need disciples? He could have done it all himself, but he committed himself to calling, gathering, and working with imperfect disciples. We'll see this as the gospel unfolds, as we work through uh, Mark's accounts of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We'll see these disciples are imperfect. They are flawed. They frequently fail. We'll see that there are times when they are scared, fearful, doubting. And we'll see other times when they are dull, They're slow to learn. They're slow to understand. They're bewildered by what Jesus says, by what he does, by his his death and his resurrection. They, They can't work it out. We'll see other times when they are just showing worldly attitudes. They're, they're worldly. They're elitist. They find someone else praying in the name of Jesus and they gladly report back to Jesus. We told him to stop because he's not one of us. These guys misunderstand the kingdom. They're proud. They're self-seeking. Can one of us sit on your right and one of us sit on your left when you come into your kingdom? They kind of want to get in ahead of the game and bask in some reflected glory and have a position of prominence themselves. That's what would really satisfy. We see other occasions when they are anti-children. No, Jesus hasn't got time for you, uh, I'm afraid. Come back when you're a grown-up. They're preoccupied with money. They're weak when it comes to prayer. And ultimately, they run away at the moment of Jesus' greatest need when he is arrested. And Jesus loves them. And there's good news. Jesus calls them. And there's good news. Jesus commits himself to them, knowing that that's the likely story. That's what the pattern that will unfold. But he's calling them. He's seeking them. We've got good news in Mark's gospel of a God who takes initiative, a God who makes the running, a God who takes the lead, a God who commits himself to flawed people who frequently fail, 
And he's, they're not going to be snatched out of his hand. He's going to continue to work with them. He's going to continue to encourage them. He's going to continue to train them. Even when they run away, later on he's going to go find them and restore them and commission them into an amazing future. It's going to be three amazing years and then it's really going to get interesting. And I wonder, perhaps, uh, for people who have come in your first year as, uh, as a student here in Sheffield, think, give yourself to Jesus, and you might have the most amazing three years, after which it's really going to get interesting with him centre stage in your life. We've got a, an incredibly good news. Jesus demonstrating what the Father is like shows amazing commitment and acceptance of ordinary people. He's not looking for some elite band of brothers. He's gathering ordinary guys to himself. This is the good news. This is the, the kingdom has come, but it doesn't come with massive fun, fanfare. It, it comes with Jesus gradually drawing more people into what he is doing and working with them. But I wonder sometimes whether we can turn the good news the wrong way around. Thankfully, it's wonderful weather today, and so this won't happen. But if it was raining and you have an umbrella, have you ever had that moment when you put the umbrella up, the weather is so grim that it gets turned inside out? It's, the umbrella is still kind of there, but it's just the wrong way around completely. And it's not that useful. And if that happens, you can think, oh, maybe just discard it, throw it in the bin. Sometimes I think that we allow that to happen with our understanding of the gospel and what the good news is. It gets a little bit twisted. It can sound familiar, but somehow it's just turned inside out. It's the wrong shape, and it can lead to bad news in actual fact. Well, what do I mean? Well, we can imagine that life is a little bit like this. There's a certain time when I decided to find out a little bit more about Jesus, about the Christian faith, whether I'd grown up uh, in a church situation or not, I started my journey and I asked questions. I had a few conversations with different people and, uh, and it kind of arrived at this point when I'm thinking about my decision. And, and in that moment, I approach God and I say to him, Here's who I am. Here's what I've got to offer you. Will you accept me? Or, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, will you come into my life? Um, my, I, I'm, I'm kind of hoping for a reasonable career. I'd like to get married one day and have children, kind of have a comfortable life. Uh, but within that, there's a certain amount that, that I can offer to you. Uh, we could be good together, you and I. Um, come and join me in what's going on. Uh, actually, I've come to realize that I, I need you. There are a whole variety of ways um, in which I could do with your help. Please come into my life and, and help me. Um, that could be our understanding of the gospel, and that's bad news for a couple of reasons. Well, several reasons. I'm just going to mention a couple. Um, one is, it makes out that 
we're the one that takes initiative. And that suggests that we're the one who's in charge. And that we're the one with authority. And if, if we call to God, he should follow us. Um, because God is, is, is benevolent, very fluffy, uh, always kind of just happy-go-lucky um, or whatever. We can kind of create an image of God in our minds where we expect him to come and follow us and that we're in charge. That's not good news. Because if we see any similarities between ourselves and the disciples in the pages of the gospel, we realize they don't know what's good. They don't know what's right. They're slow to understand. They don't make the best choices. Um, they're frequently weak, often proud, and have just got a mindset that's still kind of partly shaped by the world rather than by truth. So it's not actually a healthy position to be in. The good news is that we are not in control. The good news is that we're not in charge, that we're not our own authority figures. But there's another reason that that is bad news or the umbrella turned the wrong way round. If we're asking that question of God, it's almost suggesting that God's response might be like this. He's busy with the world. He's kind of busy um, keeping the world ticking. And, and he's suddenly interrupted by somebody who's asking him a question. Will you accept me into your life? Um, uh, just, just hold that thought, because I was busy with something else. But um, Okay, well, since you're here, um, okay, let me think. Well, the fact is, and I'm, I can see that you've been on quite a journey to get here, a pilgrimage even. Um, you know, it's, it's impressive. You've, you've made some good choices. Um, uh, but the, the, the trouble is, I know everything. And in knowing everything, I, I actually know your weaknesses. I, I know your faults. Um, and I'm just not sure this is going to work. Um, I'm not quite sure you're up to the mark, you're up to scratch. But but maybe we could make something work. Just stay there, I'll come back to you in a minute, okay? So we can set up a kind of scenario where we think that's the gospel. We've respo- you know, we've taken the initiative. We've come to God. Now how is God going to respond? And maybe our image of God is arms folded, frowning, uncertain. Mm, really? What grades did you get? Ah. How long have you... Did you grow up in a Christian... No? No? Just nowhere. Um, right. Oh, okay. How much do you earn? Is that much? Okay, so you can't really give me that much in that way. Um, so, so God is the God who just gets taken by surprise and responds to our warm invitation. Please come into my life. But we're a little bit... Well, how is he going to respond to me? Is he going to accept me? Will he? I'm kind of prepared to commit to him to some extent. Is he going to commit to me? Um, and so the, the gospel gets the wrong way round. Obviously, it wasn't like that. It's not like that. If you haven't just tuned in and out, that isn't the gospel. <laughs> that isn't the good news. Uh, that's not reality. It's much more that like this. I, I was whether I'd grown up in a church or not. 
I was kind of about my own thing. Um, sometimes I paid him attention, sometimes I didn't. And in all honesty, I was just getting on with things because I am in control. I'm my own authority figure. I get to decide what shape my life takes and what I want. So I'm pursuing my goals and my dreams and I'm, I'm heading this way. And suddenly I hear somebody call my... He's still asleep. Um, somebody call my name. My attention is arrested. Somebody else took the initiative. Somebody else stood here and said, Dan, I've got good news for you. I've got so much to offer you that you could never get anywhere else. I want you to know that I'm for you, not against you. I've got plans and purposes. Nevertheless, you need to turn around. Come into my life. Come and join me with what I am doing. Turn around. Leave that. You don't need to go there. I've got something better in store. Come and follow me. He's taking the initiative. We don't need to worry, will God accept me? This is the good news that's in Jesus. God's come. God's here. His kingdom is close at hand. The kingdom is available. Salvation is right here. If you will turn around and receive me. Come and, come and join me. Come and be with me. So God is not reacting to our invitation Please come into my life. We are reacting to his invitation. Please, come into my life. The trouble can be, inherent in that kind of umbrella picture of the gospel, that so many of us in other ways, different, pe- different ways, different times, have experienced rejection. And kind of Sarah was kind of pointing that out when she came early on in the worship time and and spoke about names, the names of God, the names that God gives to us, but perhaps, unfortunately, the other names that we have heard, that we have been called. Rejection can take any number of uh, forms. It could be in the playgrounds. I thought I had a best friend, but they've decided to go and be with somebody else. Or, I had a boyfriend, I had a girlfriend, and they left me to go with someone else. Or it could be, I always just kind of got the impression, or maybe it was said explicitly, you weren't supposed to happen, says a parent. You were the accident, you were the mistake. Or it's most extreme, I wish, I wish actually we hadn't had you. It's made life difficult. Um, people can experience rejection in any number of ways, some of which are particularly profound and unhelpful. And so we need to see here that there's a God who is very different, not arms folded, face frowning, waiting to see if we're up to scratch before welcoming you in. Sometimes rejection can be subtle. It can be only really getting attention only really receiving any kind of acceptance if you do get the grades, make the mark, perform well. Well, congratulations comes then, but there's no warmth otherwise. Um, what we see is, in the Scriptures, a God who doesn't just say, oh, okay, I guess I can make use of you. A God who is loving, 
our Heavenly Father who takes the initiative, who desires that none should perish, but all should have uh, come to eternal life. And so he is eager, and so Jesus is eager to be amongst people and share good news. Not just waiting for them to come to him, but on the front foot. So the invitation is there. The invitation is explicit. For everyone, there is this good news available. Come and follow me. There's a God who who makes the running, takes the lead. He accepts and commits himself to people who are imperfect, flawed, and fail just like us. Just like these disciples. Let's turn and have a look at the disciples then. Well, we see they're fishermen, two pairs of brothers, not particularly significant socially, not necessarily poor either. I mean, certainly um, the, the sons of Zebedee are working along with hired men. There's a significant family business happening um, on the lake. But these aren't typical recruits. It might sound like in Mark's fast-forward telling of the story, a slightly bizarre encounter. Jesus took a walk by a lake, saw some people who'd never seen him before, uttered a couple of words, come and follow me. And they say, okay, yes. It's like, why did that happen? Was it some kind of mysterious working um, that, that led to them almost kind of robotically um, to, to be compelled to go? Uh, and follow a complete stranger. Um, there are hints that would suggest in the scripture that wasn't the case. Uh, so early on in the book of Acts, years later, uh, the 12 disciples by this point had become the 11 disciples. They need to find, with God's help, a replacement to be a witness with them of the resurrection. And so uh, Peter stands up and speaks and says uh, in Acts 1 verse 21, Therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. In other words, they had been aware of Jesus when Jesus went out to John and got baptized. Uh, Maybe John's arrest then meant that loads of these guys, uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, went back to their normal life. They went back home. They thought, that's it. It's a false dawn. We thought something was about to happen and be really interesting um, and that the Messiah was to come um, and they've gone, they've gone back. It's not quite happened. John's got arrested. This isn't looking so great anymore. Um, and, but they know Jesus. They saw him baptized. Jesus now turns up in their province, in their hometown, walking along their lake and they say, right, Guys, we're back on. Come follow me. And so they, they respond um, and they go follow him. So what we're seeing here is Jesus taking the initiative. But we're seeing the disciples respond immediately. There's that background. They've met Jesus before. They've seen him. They've probably heard him. Now he's right in front of them. What is their Response. Where we're told at once they left their nets and followed. Uh, we also see that without delay Jesus called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and the hired men and followed him. 
Jesus' invitation, I suppose, did still leave out quite a lot of details. Come and follow me. What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What's this kingdom going to look like? They're going to go on a journey of discovery. Everything's not answered at this point, but they know enough. And they know we're following him. And we're prepared to reprioritize everything in our life. Their priorities change because their commitment is wholehearted. See, God's commitment comes first. God's initiative is what got this whole thing started. That's why there is good news. Because Jesus came and he committed himself to imperfect people, calling them to be part of his kingdom. Nevertheless, what we see with these disciples is a response is called for. So the the good news went out. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. And yet a response is called for. Repent and believe the good news. Come, follow me. Well, what do you mean? I'm going to... It's my father. He's with the hired hands. We're, we're, we're fishing right now. This is, this, is our, this is our livelihood at stake here. Um, later. But their response demonstrates, no, we're, we're kind of, we're putting our all in with Jesus. We don't know what the future is going to hold. We don't know, at this point, I didn't even know that it would be for three years with him in person. But we don't know what this next three years is going to be about. We don't know what shape it's going to take. See, what they're saying is, we are not in control of our own lives. We're not the authority figure here. There's someone else, and we're following him. And so this, this response of turning around, a change of direction, and a determination to follow him. There, that the invitation was to come and follow, or to, to be with Jesus. So they didn't know what the future held, but they were going to be with Jesus, whatever that involved, and wherever it took them. A massive turnaround. But being with Jesus was not just about having some company. Jesus wasn't just saying, come along and just watch. Um, he had plans to come and follow me. I can see what you're doing. Now I'm going to make you fishers of men. Which could sound a little bit bizarre. That's no great blessing for the fish, is it? To be caught. So I'm going to make you fishers of men. But meaning it positively, this isn't an act of judgment. This is a rescue mission. And I am going to involve you in it. And that's kind of what, what happens. And again, fast forward a few years, uh, a few pages to the book of Acts. And we see something happening there in chapter 4 uh, with Peter and John. Um, there had been this great disturbance and now they're before the authorities. And it says this in verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. They'd accepted the invitation and they'd gone and they'd followed him, and they'd been trained by him. And now they, these guys can see there in the book of Acts, they're still ordinary, they're still unschooled, they've still got a background in fishing, or tax collecting, or something else, 
But the key thing that's made the difference, the key reason why they've got courage, the key reason why they're on uh, a spiritual adventure, still following a Messiah that is now resurrected is, well, they've been with him uh, for three years. They followed. Again, we are called to repent, to turn around, to change our direction, and to believe the good news, to believe how Jesus is, is showing us who God is, that he is near, showing us his desire, showing us his, his initiative, showing us his, his goodness. What it calls us to do is to stop believing the lie that's been reverberating through this world since time began, since Genesis chapter 3 anyway. Um, did God really say, or can you really trust God? You know what's best for you, surely. You don't need God. You don't need anyone telling you what's good for you. And so Adam and Eve bought into the lie. They bought into the, to the belief that they were better off um, just deciding for themselves, setting aside what God had said. Maybe he was actually just trying to limit them and hold them back and restrict their enjoyment of life. And so Satan, in the form of the serpent, kind of came into the garden and whispered these sweet-sounding, poisonous ideas. You don't need him. You be in charge. You be the authority. You, you decide what's right and what's wrong. You decide the direction of your own life. Because God can't be trusted. He's not actually good. If you manage to get his attention... He'll just size you up and down and kind of go, no, sorry, it's just not happening. And so believing the good news is coming to realize, no, that's, that's not reality. That's not truth. There's a, there's news that is far better. There is a gospel that demonstrates a God of love who's come to us. It's not will he accept me. The question is, will I accept him? And having accepted him, will I, will I follow? How will I follow? Will I, will I pursue him? Will I continue to trust him? Will I continue to put my life in his hands? I don't know what the future holds for myself. I don't know what the future holds for you, be that three years or 30 years. But what we're being told here is the good news of following God is the best place to be. We're going to see it unfold through all the pages of Mark's gospel. We're getting the introduction of it here. And we're seeing that something started then that applies still right now. The good news, freshly proclaimed from Jesus' lips, is still being proclaimed now. It's still available now. His kingdom is still close at hand right now. The invitation is still there right now. God is still eagerly poised to welcome in all that will come to him, all that will turn to him. And then, I mean, it says, you've been fishers of men. Uh, sorry, you've been fishermen. Come follow me. I will make you. God's got plans. He's going to 
do things. He's going to shape our lives. He's going to make something of us, not just in some kind of worldly way, making us into a success. He says, no, I've got plans to, to use you, draw you into what I'm doing. Come on. Come and follow me. And allow me to shape your life. Isn't that good news worth listening to? Amen. Let's uh, pray and then we'll worship God together in just a moment.